Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matavase, the former West Ham, Chelsea and Benfica left-back Scott Minto and Talk Sport football correspondent Alex Crook is here as well. We preview all 10 games as Tottenham go to City knowing that they have to play a lot better than they did in midweek. After erupting next to Mount Vesuvius, Liverpool welcomed Wolves back to Anfield. Everton travelled to Arsenal without last week's saviour and Chelsea won a new potter in the shed before the West London derby with Fulham. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Hey gents, what a week. Uh, highlights of the uh, Champions League. Should we start with that? Crook, um, let me guess. I think your highlight from the week of the Champions League so far probably happened in Naples. I don't know, but I'm going to guess. <laughs> I did enjoy that, I have to say. Um, still waiting for a reply from Darren Lewis, I think, asking if uh, if Liverpool are all right. Is Virgil van Dijk all right? I'm a bit concerned, actually. I think Liverpool fans are a little bit more concerned about James Milner, who seemed to have a rush of blood to the head seven times in the first 10 minutes of the game. He could have been booked for giving away a penalty where he extended his arm like Inspector Gadget for absolutely no reason uh, and then was booked for a tackle on Anguissa, which was... Um, let's just say potentially a little bit stronger than the yellow card in European football. I don't know. Uh, so he was, uh, I mean, I don't know what that was all about, but clearly, I mean, Naples is quite a spicy city. I don't know if you've ever been to Naples, but it is quite a spicy city. Maybe they just felt the heat and the energy that comes off the uh, the Estadio Diego Armando Maradona. Um, or as it was the Stadio San Paolo, which was uh, is a fantastic arena. Scott, a quick word from you on Erling Haaland getting applauded by the Sevilla fans after destroying them on Tuesday night. I mean, one of the headlines in the Spanish papers was all about him being the boogeyman or the equivalent of a boogeyman because, you know, lock your kids up because he's coming, the monster is coming. That was one of the big headlines in the front of the Spanish papers and quite rightly so, it turns out. Absolutely. First of all, thanks for the geography lesson and uh, the little bit of Italian as well, Sam. Um, been to no Sorrento, problem. but not actually Naples. But no, I, listen. Been to Sorrento, but you haven't been to Naples. You must fly no. into Naples for Sorrento, right? Um, you yeah, you what? did. You could be right. It's about 15 years ago. So, um, But it was straight out. Anyway, hiring a car, straight out, straight to Sorrento <laughs> and Positano. Anyway, um, look, I mean, he is the best finisher in world football right now. You know, the argument, I've been listening to a bit on talk, was would you have Mbappe or, or Haaland? But in terms of pure finishing, I'd rely on Haaland more in a one-on-one situation than I would Kylian Mbappe, to be honest with you, although I would quite happily take second pick. But he's brilliant. He he, he gets in the right positions all the time. He's an, he, he's he's a, you know, you liken to him almost to like a Gary Lineker that just, and even a Harry Kane to a point where he just sniffs out. He just knows where to be. And I don't think you can coach that. But I remember one time he came off um, in one of the games and Pep was about 6-1, gave him a hug and he was dwarfed. You know, I just, I would have nightmares the night before a game as well, knowing I'd be up against him because he bullies defenders. He's he's very good, obviously predominantly left-footed, but both-footed as well. Gets himself in the right position and just lives for goals. He is a nightmare for defenders. He's going to give uh, Tottenham Hotspur a nightmare this weekend. We'll get to that in just a second. But let's get to our first game, uh, which is on game day, 12.30 this Saturday. Fulham against Chelsea. The first game for Graham Potter? Possibly. Goal. Oh yes, Enoch and Webu! Arsenal nil, Brighton two. He's proven he's a really progressive, I think up and coming, excellent manager. It found its way to Trossard as Dallow tried to clear. 
It bounced straight in the goal, it's 4-0. The style of football he plays and I think the way he gets us playing, I, I, I could see him yeah, managing a big club in England for sure. The top, top manager, I believe, and Brighton fans won't want me to say this, is going to go on to even bigger and better things as well. The, the only job that Graham Pot will take for me is a top four job. It could well be sooner than later that Potter leaves Brighton and heads to Chelsea. That's a big breaking news in the football world this lunchtime. For me, I would go straight for Potter. I can't wait to see when he gets his hands on this squad, what we look like. If it's anything like Brighton, then we are in for a treat. It's a great opportunity for him, no doubt about that. I wouldn't be disappointed if I was a Chelsea fan if Potter came through the door. Absolutely not, that's not what I'm saying. But yeah. it's funny how the perception changes based on six months, nine months. This would be a massive step up. It's a big risk for him. If he goes to Chelsea, he's not going to have that, that power and within six seven months if things aren't going well he'll be gone well no doubting the big story of the week thomas tuchel sacked graham potter seen as a dead sir for the job scott first of all is it harsh knee jerk or the right decision I don't think it's knee-jerk, but I do think it's harsh. Um, it's interesting sort of early on how Thomas Tuchel was. You remember the, the 4-0 defeat in pre-season where he 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 really went overboard on, on pretty much everything? And I don't think he's changed since. And when he was asked by um, an interviewer, you know, what's it like to work with uh, um, the owner? The first words he came out with almost before the question finished was very communicative. Now, I get the feeling he's probably on the phone about five times a day doing his head in a little bit. He's probably had to tell him no to Ronaldo when he didn't want that. And we can come on to Aubameyang and I, I don't get that situation. But I just think you're looking at an owner who is so hands-on, so micromanages, is what he does in the States as well. And I think he's expecting to do here that he's just suddenly thought, I don't think it's just about results. I think it's also the relationship that has developed and perhaps not the way that a Todd Bowley won. And, and ultimately, as we've seen before, Sam, there's only one winner between a, an owner and a manager. Alex, Graham Potter is expected to be, as we are recording this podcast, he's, they're going to announce it at some point in the next uh, little while by the looks of it. Is there any way that he could, at the end of talks, decide, actually, this is not for me? I think it's very difficult. Um, when you've been up to London, you've been out for dinner with Todd Bowley. I think even if Graham Potter was in two minds, which I've not been given any any indication that he is, how do you then go back to Brighton as if nothing has happened? I think that's a very mm. difficult situation for Graham so, so, Potter. Okay, he's so we're, probably we're, too we're far down the line. He's probably going to take the job. He is going to take the job. That's to say he has taken the job. What does he bring? Uh, well, I think he brings a long-term approach, um, which I heard you on TalkSport on Wednesday and you were talking about shortism when it comes to Chelsea managers, not just under Abramovich actually, but going uh, way back to, to when you were... A child, I think, in, in Graham Potter, time. they want someone who's going to be there for the next six or seven years. They want someone who's going to build a legacy uh, like he has at Brighton. And actually, I think what Scott has said about the, the hands-on approach of the owner is quite telling because that isn't that different to what Graham Potter is used to at Brighton. When it comes to transfers, for example, Graham Potter doesn't pick the players at Brighton. Uh, Tony Bloom, the owner, and the recruitment staff present him with a list of options and then he decides which of their players he wants to sign. So I think he would get on okay with Todd Bowley in that respect. I think he's probably a bit more of a diplomat than um, Thomas Tuchel. And I think it is important to stress that this wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. This wasn't a reaction to losing in Zagreb. The decision had already been made. There'd been a complete breakdown in relations between Bowley and Tuchel, as I understand it. I don't think too many of the players were that unhappy that Tuchel has gone. I think if you look at his post-match reactions, their recent performances, he blamed the players a lot and, and didn't take much responsibility on his own shoulders. Potter isn't that guy. I think if he's given time by the Chelsea fans and crucially, if he's given respect by a dressing room full of players who've achieved more in their playing careers than Potter could ever have imagined, I think it will work out. I think that's key, the relationship between Potter and those big egos in the Chelsea dressing room because he's not used to that at Brighton, let's be honest. And and let's be clear, he's not going to be able to go three or four months without a home win at Stamford Bridge like he has been able to get away with down in Brighton. You know, they play a lot of good football and I'm looking forward actually to the implementation of a slick, fast style of play that creates chances. 
because Brighton do score, don't score bucket load of goals. They never have done, but they've always created loads of chances. One of the things we always talk about is their XG is so fantastic. And I mentioned to you a couple of years ago when we were doing this pod crook, you know, their XG put them in the top four because they obviously create so many chances, but don't have anybody to finish them off. I like the fact that he's tactically flexible. He's not afraid to change up his his approach. When he went to Manchester United the other week, instead of playing those pretty patterns and allowing Manchester United to press them high up the pitch, they decided to go longer up to Danny Welbeck and build off that platform. Brilliant. I love that flexibility and, and intelligence. I like the fact that he has a master's degree in emotional intelligence and remains very level no matter the circumstances. But Chelsea's a very different beast to the side that he works for at the Amex with its structure and support, Scott. Absolutely, Sam. And, and, and I agree with pretty much everything you said. I mean, one thing I would say is, you know, Chelsea, wouldn't, even if you or I were manager of Chelsea, they wouldn't go three or four months without winning at home because of the players that they've got. You know, <laughs> Hold on a second. Me. I'll go back to 1985-86, if you want, or whatever it was, 87-88. That, that could possibly happen. Yeah, but it, it, my point is, this is a very different Chelsea team nowadays. They're, they're one of yeah. the top teams in the country with, with top-class players that are clearly underperforming at the moment. I think the question is really, one, is it harsh? Yes. And I'd like to thank Thomas Tuchel for the job that he did, not just in terms of bringing the Champions League and the World Club Cup, but the way he dealt with the situation, you know, once Abramovich and, 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 and if you want to be really dramatic, were Chelsea going out of existence? I thought mm. he dealt with that with a lot of class and elegance. So, you know, thank you to, to to you for that. But what are we looking at in terms of the owners? We know they're wanting to make a statement. They've certainly done that, spending more than a quarter of a billion pounds. Are they looking to bring in as well, which I think the aim is, a young up-and-coming coach. So they've got players on long-term contracts. It's what they do in America. They now want to have a young up-and-coming developing coach on a long-term contract and go with it. The question is, this is Chelsea. This is a very different beast. And as you say, even three or four games, let alone three or four months without a win, then the pressure is going to be on. Can he deal with that? I like him. I love everything about him. I think he's ready for the step up. I really do. But you just don't know until they're in that situation. It's a it's a calculated risk, but it is a risk. Look, I want him to succeed, but I've always thought that he's a Tottenham manager rather than a mm. Chelsea manager, if that mm. makes any sense. Um, um, I think it's a massive step for him. If he can deal with the scrutiny that comes with being the Chelsea manager and he can work in whatever structure eventually comes his way, because at the moment, one of the big issues is there isn't a director of football. There isn't a major infrastructure above his head. Um, I think all power to him. I hope it works out. He's not going to turn down tripling his salary, is he? I mean, no he's, he's not going to do that. No but um, I hope the Chelsea players give him the respect that he deserves because he is he is a terrific coach and his body of work shows that in, in, in several different clubs. We've got to move on. I have to ask you about what you think about uh, the impact on the game this weekend. Fulham are going to be a little bit fresher, bearing in mind that Chelsea have been to Zagreb and back. They've taken seven points from their first three home league games this season. Crook, are Chelsea actually in danger of getting underway with the new era in difficult circumstances? Possibly, although in some ways I think the departure of Thomas Tuchel actually makes this more difficult for Fulham because Chelsea uh, looked totally devoid of ideas in midweek against Zagreb, uh, as they did actually for much of the game against West Ham last weekend when I think they were quite fortunate to get the victory. And Southampton. And Southampton leads. I mean, listen, their start of the season has been poor and uh, I mentioned to you at the end of last season that if Roman Abramovich was still in situ then uh, Tuchel would be in danger because I think they underwhelmed last season as well. Your point to the fact they lost two cup finals on penalties. They still lost two cup finals on penalties. Um, I think if they Graham got Potter... got to two cup finals. they got to two cup finals. Yeah, no, you can't use that one. Penalties are penalties. That That's that's unlucky and nothing to do with him. Yeah. I, I think Come if on. Graham Potter is in situ for this game on Saturday, I think you'll see um, a more dynamic Chelsea. I think you'll see a more motivated Chelsea. And as I say, I think that makes Fulham's job that much more difficult, to be honest. Tottenham take on Manchester City at 5.30 on Saturday and Spurs have got to play a lot better against Mm. Manchester City uh, away from home at the Etihad Stadium than they did at home against... um, Who were they playing in midweek? completely forgotten I was actually at the game. Marseille. Marseille. See, I know it was a team in light blue. It just escaped <laughs> my mind. I was there. I was commentating. You do sports. eight games a week, Sam. That's the problem. I know. I know. They were playing Marseille. Marseille were the better team for large portions of that match before they had a player. And uh, Chancellor and Bemba sent off for a silly challenge. Um, Richardson, real threat, and he's been brilliant since uh, coming into the team. 
But Son, Scott, looks void of confidence. I mean, his every touch is heavy. Um, his awareness of other players is poor. He doesn't look as sharp or as fit as he did before. I mean, he, he really looks off it. What, how do you solve that problem? Well, I said a couple of weeks ago, I did the game uh, Spurs-Wolves and um, my prediction was Spurs to win to nil and Son to score because he hadn't scored yet uh, at that point of the season. And I was expecting a reaction from him and I didn't see it. And I said, if it wasn't Son, he'd be taken off. And the way that Richarlison had been coming off the bench and looking really, really sharp, Richarlison should be starting and Son should be the one off the bench. Now, it was Kulusevsky this time, but... I genuinely think the best three at this moment in time is Kulusevsky, Kane and Richarlison. Yeah. And, and you have to take him out for a couple of games, Sam. And and, and somehow just a little bit of extra training, do extra shooting in, in, in training as well, hit the back of the net, practice that with or without a keeper and then put him back in. We know he's a class player. He's just going through a bit of bad form at the moment. But you play your, your form players and you have to in this game. Utilising his five subs is going to be uh, important for Antonio Conte in a period where there's so many fixtures and Manchester City have got a similar sort of thing where they're playing every midweek and they're playing every weekend. It's constant. They need to continue to rotate the lineup. And when you're not rotating the lineup, make sure you're using your subs properly, which he did do on Tuesday, on Wednesday night. Um, how do you stop Erling Haaland? He is in terrifying form. How are Spurs going to keep him at bay? 12 goals in seven competitive games, Crook. Yeah, um, I, I was a bit underwhelmed by Spurs on uh, in midweek, uh, mainly they because were they were the fa- final <laughs> leg of my accumulator. So I did have a vested interest in the second half, and I'm not convinced without the sending off that they won that game. But um, they've got a new hero, haven't they, Richarlison? And our good friend, uh, friend from Sky Television, uh, Michael Bridge, tweeted last night, Everton fans are right. If he's your player, you love him. Uh, I think opposition fans hate him, um, but I think you could see what it meant to him to score those goals in the Champions League. And I think he's made a really strong case now um, to be in the starting lineup this weekend. I think this is a real measure of how far Tottenham have come because we, we can use the Arsenal argument that we used before they lost at Manchester United. Yes, they've made a really good start to the season in terms of results. I've not yet seen a Spurs performance really that has made me think actually they could challenge for the title. I think we'll see just how close Tottenham will be to Manchester City uh, come 7.30 on Saturday night. I expect we'll be saying yeah, they're top four contenders, nothing else. Yeah, Spurs TV did an interview with uh, Fabio Puritici this week in which he said they'd closed the gap to Manchester City and Liverpool with their £145 million splurge on transfers. I'm not entirely sure that they've closed the... I mean, might have closed the gap a little bit, but the gap has, has not been bridged. That's they're not 20-odd sure. points behind or they won't be at the end of the season. <laughs> they won't be 20 points behind, no. But the game plan... Are we sure? Be... Are we sure about that? No, no, we're not sure. Um, we're not sure. City are that good. Yeah, City are that good. Um, and I suppose the game plan will be to invite them onto them and then try and break on them. It's a tactic that has worked in the past, Scott. In the past, Scott. Absolutely. And, and it's the way that Antonio Conte loves to play. I think that the way that Spurs are set up, I think it suits it. And, and in that 3-4-3, three, three, you, you know, you make sure your wing-backs don't, get, don't allow space down the side. Very difficult to do. Happy to concede possession. And then counter-attack, which we know that Spurs are, are one of the best, I have to say, one of the best in the country at doing that. How do you stop Haaland? Well, first of all, you, you try and stop the, the ball to him. That, that's it, because his movement is so good. It's very difficult to try and do that over a whole 90 minutes. You cannot stop him for the whole 90 minutes. But what you can do is literally, not man-to-man mark him, but just have someone within two yards all the time, making sure, and sometimes even two players, around him as well. And if you have to lend, let City have an extra player somewhere else, so be it. But don't let any crosses coming in. Wingbacks have to be very careful about that. Get tight to the wide players. And then the midfield two as well also have to be tight. Very compact as 11. And if you can counter-attack, so be it. But if they have like 25% possession, I don't think Conte will care. No, I don't think he will either. Um, and they seem to be sort of setting up for that and watching them on Wednesday night, taking Longley off, taking Romero off with twin, uh, 15 minutes to go. They were readying themselves for a long afternoon at the Etihad Stadium. That's 5.30 on Saturday. Spurs, uh, very good away from home, unbeaten in the last eight. They're actually unbeaten in 13 in all competitions, unbeaten away in their last eight. Uh, City, Liverpool and Chelsea were the only sides in the Premier League last season that picked up more points on the road than Tottenham Hotspur last year. Uh, Liverpool are back at home after a midweek trip to Mount Vesuvius. Wow. 
Um, 4-1 defeat away at Napoli. They now take on Wolves. It's slip-up after slip-up from Liverpool right now, especially on the road. And I don't think that they're particularly certain of getting a Bournemouth-style bounce back against the stingy Wolves group. No, and I think the most damning thing about this is that was anybody really surprised? Um, I actually fancied Napoli to get a positive result in midweek. It's not a ground where Liverpool had a particularly good record anyway. They've made a really poor start to the season. They've got certain players who look undercooked. You know, I mentioned Van Dijk looks a shadow uh, of the player that he has been for the last couple of seasons. Mo Salah, as you, I keep saying, Sam, you called it in pre-season. He looks way off the pace as well. Um, Nunez is still on his way back after that red card. And I think this is a tough game. Um, Wolves don't score many goals. Uh, I'm not sure the addition of uh, Diego Costa, who's played 10 games in two years, is particularly going to change that. But they are good defensively. So I think this is going to be another afternoon where Liverpool fans are put through the ringer. Do I expect Wolves to win? Probably not. Could I see Wolves getting a point and putting more frustration um, on the former Premier League champions? I think I could. And it was interesting to see Jurgen Klopp after the game saying that his team needs to reinvent themselves. Mm. What's happened to Mo Salah, Scott? He's been Liverpool's top scorer for the last five seasons, but I'm not sure he's going to be this campaign. Crook has mentioned that I mentioned it uh, during the summer, and it was only based on uh, statistical analysis as well as sort of looking at him with my eyes and realising he didn't look to be completely up to it. I mentioned this on the game night show with Adrian Durham on Monday night when I did uh, some statistical analysis of him, and I was saying, you know, before heading to the Africa Cup of Nations last year, Salah had scored 23 goals for Liverpool in 26 games. 23 in 26. I mean, that's an outstanding return prior to January. Since his return, he's managed 11 goals in 32 games. Worse still, since coming back from losing the World Cup playoff in March, so realising he's not going to the World Cup, he's scored six goals in 22 matches. I mean, I don't know whether he's depressed by what happened that day or whether there is a knock-on effect uh, of disappointment that is, 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 has taken the edge off him. I don't know. But ultimately, that's a very big drop-off and a lengthy drop-off as well. No, it is. And and I would break it down into, into seasons, to be honest with you. What happened last season? I, I think the fact that they did lose the, the World Cup qualifier um, would have had a an effect on him psychologically because he wants to be, he's one of the best players in the world. He wants to be playing in the biggest tournament in the world. Um, I think before that, you're talking about Messi and Ronaldo stats. And I'm not saying he's not capable of that, but I do think he overachieved in the first half of last season. And then you're expecting him to do the same again in the second half. The second half, poor, I think, as I say, a psychological effect of that. This season, he signed a new contract on a heck of a lot of money. I'm definitely not going to go down the route of he's resting on his laurels and what's happened with Ozil and Aubameyang, but it should give him even more of a of a motivation to know that one, he's not in the World Cup, but two, Liverpool have given him the biggest contract they've ever given any player in their history. We call it the uh, crook uh, conundrum. Um, basically, what happened was that Crook used to come along and do a bit here and there for TalkSport. Now he's like Mr. Social Clickbait um, and they've given him a big fat new contract. He just turns up, spends half the time on his phone, um, repeats a sentence that somebody else has already said and coasts through the podcast. I mean, Is that why he's in his pyjamas now as well? Yeah, exactly. It's why, you know, it, that, he's just got a very different attitude now. He's big time. Well, that's the, I'm, that's not, the, that's I'm not in my pyjamas, but... Uh, I'm joking. I, I am yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, did, I did get rudely awoken by Sam saying, can we do it early, please? Yeah, like I'll be up at 1.30 in the morning on a school night. Come on. It, it, it's the one and only time that Alex Crook and Mo Salah will be in the same sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, they were dreadful Wednesday night at Liverpool. A Liverpool supporter friend of mine said that they were just spent. I wonder if that's a possibility as well after six years of working with Le Jurgen Klopp. Can I make a very quick point on this one? I just wonder now, if we look at the departure of Michael Edwards, sporting director, transfer guru, the man who's been credited with being behind a huge part of Liverpool's success over the last few years. Did he get out at the right time? Did he know that maybe this team was coming to the end of its cycle? Did he know that it possibly wasn't the right decision to give Mo Salah such a lucrative contract? Because all of a sudden you've got players like Van Dijk who'll be banging the door down looking for a new deal. Did he know that they'd struggle without Sadio Mane? I just wonder if his departure, uh, rather than 
being an unhappy coincidence was actually premeditated because he knew that Liverpool were in for some difficult times. That, that, that's a challenge for someone who's a top, top businessman. That's a challenge that they should be wanting. And Liverpool, a club like Liverpool, will be having year in, year out. So it's like deal with it and move on in the way that Manchester City are. Now, City obviously have the money. They can go out and spend a lot more. But still, it's a fantastic challenge. Van Dijk cannot be knocking on anybody's door right now the way he's playing. I'm sorry, you know, he's nowhere near the player he was. And he's one of your senior players. We we, we could go over the whole team and each department as well. But Salah is one of a, the senior pros who's not playing well. The team isn't clicking. And now Jurgen Klopp. It was really, really interesting to have to hear those words. We may have to reinvent ourselves. I'm fascinated to see what he's going to do over the next month or so. It is interesting, isn't it? Because how do you do that? I mean, how do, how do you do that in the middle of a season? Obviously, mm. if you thought you were going to have to do it, you would try to do it um, during the close season. They're already six points off top spot. And actually, that could get worse over the weekend should they not get over the line against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, that game is Saturday at three o'clock. But we like Monday night football, don't we? And Monday night football is only on TalkSport. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Well, we will be there, but Jesse Marsh will not be in the dugout because he was sent off during the game against Brentford last week. Um, these two teams obviously. Um, recently moved up from the championship lead a couple of seasons ago now, but Nottingham Forest uh, back in the big time. And two teams that were very much a, a big part of the early year, years of the uh, the Premier League. I mean, I think when we were all watching Premier League football and Scott, when, when you were playing and we were looking up to you as a hero. Um, You've got me on uh, the wall there. I can see that 1997 poster, Sam. So thank you very this, much. This is Adrian Durham's back bedroom. <laughs> so if he's got a picture of you, then that's fine. But I... <laughs> I can't claim that that's You bring it with you, Sam. You bring it with you and put it up wherever you are that night. (laughs) Durham has very much, very kindly put me up this morning to do the the podcast, put me up last night after the Tottenham game. But um, yeah, I don't carry, sadly, I'm not a card-carrying member of the Scott Minto fan club. (laughs) I've slept in that bed. I hope he changed the sheets in between. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's a surprise that we weren't sleeping in it together. Uh, We've done that before. Um, Anyway, um, natural bedfellows, Leeds and Nottingham Forest come together on Monday night football this should be a cracking game shouldn't it Scott I, I think so I think it'd be really open I mean you know you look at Leeds they they, they try to play with a, a pressing a high intensity game defence is not very good at the moment I have to say and conceding five goals against Brentford was was very very poor against the Nottingham Forest side I mean they still even after the window closing just seem to be adding players all the time is it Crooky Sergio Aurier the third right back at the club I mean does that make it 45 or 46 players that they've got now and on a serious note look they they, they had players out of contract and they had a lot of players out on loan so clearly they they had to change a lot and bring a lot of players in to bring that amount of players in 
and spent that amount of money. The owner's not messing about here. And I do slightly worry for Steve Cooper, maybe not so much this season, because I think they can survive, but I think they'll struggle. But I'm telling you now, any relegation problem, and in the next year or two, if they're not towards the European places, I think the owner will say that's not good enough. I really do think it'd be that. That that sounds mad, but we should have had an indication that this was going to be the case. Bearing in mind that Evangelos Marinakis, who has also uh, written a number one selling record in Greece, um, said to Jim White, high up in the gods at Wembley after they got promoted, yeah, and now I'm going to go and win the league. Actually, I fear for Steve Cooper a bit sooner um, than Scott. I I was sent a message earlier this week saying I'm hearing Steve Cooper is already under pressure. I don't know if that is 100% the case, but you you look at the higher and fire nature of Greek football. I think if Steve Cooper doesn't start to deliver results with this completely regenerated squad very soon, I think questions will be asked. If you look at their season so far, the one win they picked up against West Ham was fortuitous. West Ham missed so many chances uh, in that game, not least a penalty saved by Dean Henderson. I think Forrest, for the for the money that has been spent and the, the so-called calibre of players that have brought in, at the moment, I think they've underachieved. I mean, Jesse Lingard, <laughs> thank you for the, the, the Nottingham Forest shirt with Lingard's name on the back, Sam, uh, as a joke Did birthday like present. Did you like that? But he's not proved me wrong so far. Why, I said why he was there, I said he was there for the money. I think he's been poor. Why aren't you wearing it today? I wore it to play football in on Monday night and I scored unlike Jesse Lingard this season. I was going to say you played like him but you scored. <laughs> the thing is is that Angel- Evangelos Marinakis seems to have uh, been playing sort of fantasy football with uh, Nottingham Forest doesn't he? And he? He's used his wild card twice already and we're not even uh, out of September. Uh, what about Leeds United? Um, because they, they were taken apart by Brentford actually mm. last Saturday. I-, I like Leeds though. Uh, I think they're one of those sides that... that- or different to Bielsa to a point, but still, you know, they'll really be good on some days and they'll be the lose some shockers on, on another day. And, and that clearly was one of them. I, I like Jesse Marsh. You know, he, he's come under criticism. I, I like what he's trying to do. Um, the club have backed him. They brought in his type of players for his type of system as well and players that he knows. Still think striker, they're, they're perhaps, a, you know, one one lower than where they should be. You know, can you rely on Patrick Bamford, um, Gelhard? You know, Rodrigo's done, had a good start to the season. Will he continue? I don't know. But He's well, injured injuries, for a while. The injuries, well, there you go. Really um, and, you know, but, but I just don't particularly see them. I don't see them as relegation uh, candidates. I really don't. But I think the best they could probably do is top of the bottom half. And I think after what happened last season, Leeds fans would, would take that. Arsenal against Everton is on Sunday this week um, because of Arsenal's involvement in the Europa League. Everton are going to be without Jordan Pickford. Arsenal will be desperate to bounce back after that defeat away at Manchester United and largely uh, an unlucky scoreline, really, a 3-1 because they did play very well in the game and they had large spells where they were the dominant team and they had a goal which I still think should have been allowed in the first 10 minutes of that You sound like my father-in-law. Move on. (laughs) <laughs> um, and you and you sound like uh, you've started to uh, turn the tide and all of a sudden Manchester United are the greatest club in the world again but we won't go there just yet um, but Everton played really well away uh, sorry at home to Liverpool last Saturday but going away to the Emirates without Jordan Pickford I think he's a bit of a concern and replicating that performance will be difficult the only Big bonus, Scott, is that they haven't had the uh, the travel and the energy sapping Thursday night experience that Arsenal would have had. Well, look, I mean, Arsenal have taken a, a strong squad uh, in the Europa League, and, and it's it's going to be fascinating. You know, it's a big month next month where where they have nine games and how they deal with it and the, the games they're up against. But I I just think, look, if you can't be up against uh, Liverpool when you're playing for Everton, then you know that is their game in the way that Manchester United were for for Liverpool as well. Best performance of the season so far, and, and and they got the result. I still feel Arsenal at home are a very very good side. Yeah, okay, they nicked it against Fulham to a point, but. I like them. I like the way they're playing. I'm still not sure if they're going to finish top four. I don't know, but then I have no idea where Chelsea are going to finish right now. They are progressing. They play very good football and they're up against a side where, yes, they've got a fantastic points against Liverpool, but who was man of the match? And as you say, Pickford not playing, I think would be a massive blow. Yeah, um, but they still had chances on the counter-attack. They just couldn't finish them off. And that is one particular problem that I think Frank Lampard's got to solve is making sure that when they do get the chances, they take them. Arsenal 
didn't play particularly well the previous week and still managed to win. They've been digging out results as well as, you know, p- producing performances like they did down at Bournemouth, like they did at home to, to Leicester where they were really impressive. But it will be a battle, I think, for them on uh, Sunday afternoon. Do you think they'll still be top by the time we get to Monday? Probably, because I think they have enough uh, to beat Everton. I, I agree that Pickford is a miss, although Asmir Begovic, in my opinion, is an able deputy. probably doesn't quite have the personality that Pickford brings, so that is a, a concern. I just don't see that Everton have That's the... That's because your mate, isn't it? Ever, Everton don't have the firepower. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much a paid-up member of the goalkeepers' union, you know that. Um, unlike your good self. Kepa played well in midweek, actually. Um, Still best I, mates I just, with Ram and Ramsdale as well. I don't think Everton have the firepower uh, to really trouble this Arsenal side too much, but I think they will frustrate them for large periods, and it'll be interesting to take the European game out of the equation to see how this still young group of Arsenal players respond to that setback at Old Trafford. Yeah, and the first two names in Crookie's phone book actually are uh, Aaron and Asmir, and, and they <laughs> are playing each other this weekend, so I don't know how he's going to be able to, to watch the game. In fact, you might be commentating on it. You're not commentating on it, are you? I think I am. Yeah. Oh no, that's 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 going to test your loyalties. Uh, <laughs> One of those two have already got man of the match. Then <laughs> <laughs> Crystal Palace against Manchester United is four thirty on Sunday. We'll do it as part of the Sunday session on Talk Sport. Um, Manchester United had a terrible, terrible start to the season, but since then. It has gone north and Crookie's doing a little jig. He's very excited about their <laughs> performance against Liverpool and then against Arsenal and the two victories which have propelled them to within touching distance of the top of the pile. But going away to Crystal Palace is always a very difficult thing to do and they have failed to score on their last two trips to Selhurst Park, Scott. Yeah, and um, just looking at the table, if results go their way and they win about 8-0, then they could finish the weekend um, top. Now, look, I mean, first of all, fair play to to Ten Hag. I mean, the, the pressure that he's been under, especially um, since that Brentford game, it, it, it's. I think Real Madrid is the biggest club in the world, but I think Manchester United is second. And, you know, if not on a par. So the pressure that he's had to deal with and come into it, it's almost like, wow. Wanting to play a certain way, his players and his goalkeeper for sure cannot do it. So he's tweaked it and he's now thinking, I'm not going to be playing the way that I really want to play. I just mm. need to play the way and the, the, the players can deal with at this particular moment in time. So I think, you know, his Ajax Ten Hag style is might have to wait for another season, let alone yeah. uh, try in, in this point of the season. But it is about winning games and fair play. Confidence comes and more people get on the ball with, with that confidence. Palace away is a difficult game. You know, I thought Arsenal met them at the right time, but still perhaps got away with it a little bit. Palace had a, a couple of very good chances, uh, but Arsenal got a very good win there. I'm telling you now, Sellers Park, proper old school stadium, and the way that Patrick Vieira has got them set up as well with young, hungry players, and also Will Sahar playing really, really well. That would be a tough game. That would be a massive test. And I think it'd be as big a test as the Arsenal game. I really do. Yeah, I don't think Manchester United were particularly good against Leicester. I don't think they were particularly good against Southampton. I don't think they were particularly good against Liverpool, really. I mean, they were better against Liverpool and it was a massive jump from what happened the previous weeks where they'd been humiliated by Brighton and Brentford. But actually against Arsenal, I thought they were a little bit more like what you'd expect to see a Manchester United team perform. Um, I think that's the key point, though, isn't it? He has adapted his philosophy and he's adapted the way that he wants them to play because he's realised very quickly. And I said when after the first two games and they'd got absolutely smashed up, he'd underestimated what other teams in the league could do. And I think he had. And he's gone, do you know what? We ain't, ain't got the capability to play like that in this league. We've got to change. And fair play to him for doing so. Yeah, that's the sign of a, a good manager, a good coach. I think what you can see from this team now in the last three or four weeks, and I agree, I, I think some of the performances have still not been brilliant, but there's a, a determination, there's uh, more tactical nous now. Um, there's more of a football brain uh, on the shoulders and the heads of these Manchester United players because they're a team now who are, for the first time in four years, they're being coached properly. Uh, day in, day out on the training ground, they had a, a game plan against Arsenal. I think Arsenal fell into the trap a little bit in that second half. Once they got the equaliser, uh, they pushed it a little bit higher up the pitch and that allowed Manchester United to play on the counter-attack and get Rashford in behind for those final two goals. I think Crystal Palace will be alert to that. Palace is a cramped old-school stadium. Maybe they won't get the, 
the space that they were afforded by Arsenal at times in that second half. So I think this is a, a difficult game, but defensively, United have improved as well. Was it two goals conceded in those four games? I think they've got a back four now that looks solid and reliable. I guess that the key is, can they keep them together? Because obviously Malasia picked up a knock um, on Sunday. You can never really trust Rafael Varane to stay fit. But I think all the time that back four work in unison, they're going to be a hard team to score goals against. West Ham United have kept one clean sheet in their opening six league matches of the season. They take on a Newcastle side with uh, Alexander Izak, a £58 million summer signing, certainly licking his lips. And Newcastle were incredibly unlucky, actually, I thought, not to beat Crystal Palace last weekend. Um, There'll be a test for West Ham United, Crook. Yeah, they will. I think there'll be a test for anybody um, this season because, again, uh, like we've just been saying about Manchester United, what you know about an Eddie Howe team is that they'll be well coached, they'll be properly prepared to exploit any weaknesses in the opposition. I thought West Ham played well against Chelsea last weekend without overcommitting. Um, I think it was a very David Moyes performance in some ways. And I do think at some point he's going to have to take the handbrake off a little bit. I think he's going to have to play Skamaka and Antonio together because at the moment they're just not creating enough chances really to win football matches. And I think against a, a stubborn Newcastle defence, that could be key. I, I fancy Newcastle um, in this game. I thought Isaac was terrific on his debut against Liverpool with very little training under his belt. I'm really excited to see how he adapts and develops as he gets more used to the Premier League. I think this is going to be a tougher season for West Ham than the last couple of campaigns, despite the fact they've spent big money in the summer, uh, just because, as I say, they just don't look like scoring goals, which is a problem. I'll tell you what I think would be tough, um, and, and, and we'll obviously see, is David Moyes bringing in ballers and bringing in proper footballers who won't be happy with just been sitting back and, and going on the counter-attack. They, mm. they want to have 60% possession, not the 40%. You're talking uh, about Lucas Paqueta? I'm talking about Paqueta, even Skamaka likes to, you know, he, he, he's eight foot ten, but he, he still wants the ball on the ground if possible and wants to play and drop in at times. It's a bit like um, Crook, though. Um, he's got no upper body strength, so he can't <laughs> hit the ball. And he's six foot nine or something. Yeah. But he just can never, he's just like, you know, no, no collarbones. Crook is six foot nine, jumps four foot eight. But no, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see that there's going to be a, an adaption of style. That's because of the players that they brought in. So that, for me, is going to be the interesting thing for, for David Moyes, to keep them up with what they've done in the last two seasons. And last season combined with Europe has been amazing. Um, but I'm really impressed with Newcastle, really impressed with Isaac as well. I think he's come in and, and hit the ground running. Yeah, he did. He, he, he bullied the Liverpool defence, great skill as well for, for a big man. Just don't think either team want VAR involved. In oh, don't. Don't. Do not. We're not going there. We're not going there, Scott. <laughs> Lee, that. Lee Mason's got his feet up this weekend, hasn't he? Having a nice Has cup he? of tea. Yeah. Elmer Fudd. You're joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going West Ham now, of course. Um, Leicester take on Aston Villa uh, on uh, Saturday and three o'clock kickoff for, for those two. Brendan Rodgers still in the dugout, even though Leicester rooted at the bottom of the Premier League standings after what was an absolute mauling by Brighton on Sunday. Is there any whispers about his future, Crook, this week? Not overly. Um, I saw a report in one of the newspapers saying that it was the compensation clause that was basically keeping him in a job. I think it will cost Leicester somewhere in the region of, of £10 million to get rid of him. But I think the time is coming. I, I really do. I think actually uh, kudos to Thomas Tuchel for managing to get himself fired before Brendan Rodgers because <laughs> some of the comments that he's made of late won't go down well with the owners. Yeah. And just the nature of their defeat against Brighton. I know they scored two goals in the counter-attack, but I mean, defensively, they're an absolute shambles. They had no they game really management were. at all. And if they play like that, even against an Aston Villa side that I don't particularly rate, I think they'll get beat. And I think if they do lose, then maybe it will be the end of the road for Brendan. That said, Aston Villa actually produced a performance under pressure against uh, Manchester City last week, which must have given the team a, a huge amount of confidence. I mean, I, I think Crookie's been rather scathing about Steven Gerrard, but actually to turn it around and raise his team for that level of match was particularly impressive. Sam, that was a massive game. And... It must give them confidence and they must build on that. You know, going into it where they played, you can't knock Crookie. We can knock Crookie for a lot of things, but you can't knock Crookie for him having a good pop at him the way Villa have been playing this season. You know, they've one of, been one of the worst teams this season. You know, you and we... 
well okay we can with cricket yeah of course. <laughs> no but I mean we were together at the, the Bournemouth Villa game start of the season Bournemouth deserved Hopeful. to win um, you know the way they played since then been shocking and I was expecting not a 9-0 but I was expecting a 5-0 on current form so quite simply if Aston Villa don't build on that and win this game then they're almost back to square one because they're up against you know the worst team in the division right now it's a massive game for, for both teams and it's a massive game for both managers I wonder whether Brendan's almost trying to talk his way into getting that compensation package why on earth is he playing De- um, Wilfred Ndidi as a centre-half when he's got Daniel Amato on the bench? Do not understand it. Come on. Well, he's got it's Yannick Vestergaard. You know, he spent money on Yannick Vestergaard. I know he's not very good, but surely you're better off playing an actual central defender, particularly when you're so poor in the air. Yeah. Hey, he's not very good in the air, though, is he? Vestergaard. He's a bit, he's a bit of me, isn't he? Vestergaard, yeah, yeah, we we had me. this conversation with him. He actually never had to practice heading when he was a kid because he was so much taller than everybody else. So he's never really, he never really practiced it because he didn't have to because he never needed to jump. Now he's in playing top-level football. When he has to actually jump, he can't do it because he never <laughs> practised it when he was a kid. Uh, Leicester have only lost five of their 19 home games in the Premier League uh, last season. So they were difficult to beat at home. Aston Villa will try and do that this weekend at three o'clock on Saturday. Um, Brighton have won three of their four away games in all competitions this term. And they go to Bournemouth, just along the South Coast. Say just along the South Coast. It's like going to Liverpool. From Brighton to Bournemouth, it's miles. It's a, it's, it's a huge journey. It's like a two and a half hour journey. And if you don't believe me, ring Glenn Murray and ask him because he <laughs> did it whilst he was a Bournemouth player for, I think, about a year and then decided, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm going back down there. I'm going back to Brighton. Um, look, how are they going to cope without Graham Potter is the the big question here, Scott. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating as much as we sort of say from a Chelsea angle how Graham Potter is going to do at Chelsea. You know, who are they going to bring in? One thing I would say is I listened to, to Paul Barber, the, the chief exec on the White and Jordan show, and he was saying that, for every player we've got, and it includes the manager, we've got a sort of type that we want. And, and so I would say that they must have seen this coming. The, the, the compensation package wasn't that big that they're thinking, right, we've got him for the next four or five years. So I don't know who it's going to be, but I would think it would be along the lines of a Graham Potter. So it's going to be fascinating to see. And again, as a, from a player's point of view, that's all I can talk. You'd be gutted with the form they've been in at the start of the season playing under Potter but you're literally starting again. So those players who've been playing well, you're thinking, blimey, I've got to impress a new guy. The players who've been out of the side are saying, okay, I've got a chance of a clean slate here. So as I say, from a, from a playing point of view, you're trying to impress a new man. Crook, any whispers? I, th- I think it will cause a little bit of disarray. I think actually that th- th- this is helpful for Bournemouth because I didn't fancy their chances much, despite the nature of their second half comeback against Nottingham Forest. I think uh, certainly Potter will take at least two of the coaching staff with him to Stamford Bridge. I would imagine you will see Bruno, club legend, assisted by the likes of Adam Lallana and probably Andrew Crofts, under-21 coach, who I know is very highly rated at taking charge. But it will it will have an effect because uh, Graham Potter has been such a key part of the success that Brighton have had. The players absolutely adore him um, on the South Coast, almost to a man. So... Yeah, I'm not as confident as Scott. And listen, he's been in a dressing room. He'd been in this situation where managers leave at short notice, usually because they've been sacked as opposed to being poached by other clubs, I would suggest. So I think the scenario is slightly different. And I think it gives Bournemouth uh, an opportunity. Um, And I think Bournemouth have created a bit of a siege mentality, taking four points from the last two games. I think Gary O'Neill has acquitted himself very well, somebody that we know, Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, from a, a long time ago. We know just how bright he is when it comes to football what a good football brain he's got so he's so dedicated as well knowing Gary as I do and how much he has put into learning coaching over the last 10 years I know that even when he was still playing he was doing his coaching badges he was studying desperately he's been part of coaching setups at Liverpool and elsewhere as well he's 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 very attuned to it I don't know as we still don't know whether he's going to stake a claim for the permanent job or not. But uh, surely if he wins this game as well and takes seven he'll be points given time, three Sam. matches, he's got to be given yeah. the opportunity. He'll, he'll be given the opportunity. I'm pretty sure of that. You know, I don't think there's going to be a, a lot of 
outstanding candidates you know there'll be a lot of people wanting the job but there won't be a lot of outstanding candidates so he'll be given the job he only lives around the corner for me actually um we keep on talking about meeting up for a coffee but we haven't done it but i i had him as a guest when i was working at sky really intelligent guy you can see he was a coach and, and the media side was just um just a part and, and a stepping stone but I, i'm not saying i'm confident crookie i'm really not it's the worst thing that could ever happen for brighton and, you know what graham potter had done and i said it to adrian last season brighton fans this is a special time right now i think it's a great opportunity for bournemouth southampton against brentford the last of our fixtures uh, this week uh, southampton beaten last week and now they've got to deal with ivan tony who was in vibrant form southampton have racked up 13 draws in the premier league last season is this one going to end in similar fashion, Crook? Uh, well, they hammered Brentford last season. I think we were there, Sam. You commentated the game. Was it 4-0? Um, uh, yeah, I think it we did, had, yeah. We, we had Danny Mills alongside us suggesting that James Ward-Prowse wasn't all that when it came to free kick-taking, but we'll we'll move on from that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think if uh, if Southampton uh, can replicate that performance and they've got a, a heck of a chance, but uh, I think in Brentford and in, in Ivan Tony in particular, they're, they're going to meet a really confident side. I think it's really difficult to call this game actually I could see a draw uh, to go back to the start of your question but equally I think if Ivan Tony plays the way that he did against Leeds then Southampton might find him a little bit too hot to handle so if you're asking me to pick a winner I would probably uh, towards Brentford yeah, I think that, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Southampton over the next couple of weeks because, uh, you know, they, they know what they're like. They're so streaky, aren't they? They go on these very good runs of forms, very, very bad runs of forms, it's like a roller coaster ride. They're missed um, Lavia in midfield as well. He's out yes, for a few weeks. Yes. That's a big blow the way that he's They would have missed him even more if Chelsea had managed to get him for £50 million on deadline day. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, Crook, thank you very much for your time and energy this morning. It's been lovely to see you. Um, and Scott, um, looking exquisite as always in that. Uh, I don't know what about the hair. He's got bed hair this morning, isn't he? Uh, I, I I haven't done it. I did ask last time. Are we properly, you know, in vision? I was told no. And we said no. I, I like to think I'm still looking a million times better than Crookie. <laughs> right, Sam looks like he's in his in his prison scrubs, and uh, as you say, I uh, I'm not long out of bed myself. So there you go. It's lucky this podcast isn't. In <laughs> Well, we will be in Vision on Monday, uh, around about Monday lunchtime. So uh, we have a review of the weekend in Vision on YouTube on Monday. And of course, as a pod as well, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you tune into the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. We've got more games over the weekend, Saturday and Monday night, live football for you on TalkSport, including the first game in charge for Graham Potter for Chelsea away at Fulham. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.